to be careful that we are not using someone's vulnerability to enrich ourselves more than necessary. And when you start to see people the way God sees people, see for the children of Israel, it was not about one of them getting wealthy or one of them making some money at the expense of one. They were supposed to see themselves as a community where they worked for one another. The community of believers that God has placed together in a church setting is a family. It's brothers and sisters connected through a common belief in the saving grace of Jesus. That evens the playing field. We're all sinners and all need salvation. So today, Pastor Daniel reminds you that as a part of this family of faith, your priority is to care for others. You need to build up the people around you, drawing them into a closer relationship with Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Nehemiah chapter 5 as he begins his message, When Issues Arise. So growing up as a kid, we loved going to the beach. We lived in New Jersey, and so, you know, uh, my mom literally would say, she's like, every issue in life is fixed when you have your toes in that fine sand, right? And, and so we would love going to the beach. And, and I remember we would go down uh, in New Jersey, we'd go to this place called Long Beach Island. Some of our family members had places there. And so we would go down there really, really regularly. And we'd spend a lot of time down the beach. And it was a, a good chance after the school year and everything just to kind of slow things down. And there was this place down by where we used to stay called Fantasy Island. And they used to have this special, it was like a, an amusement park in an arcade, right? And there was this special that kids could go in for like, six hours for like 10 bucks. And we were there every single week. Growing up, I just thought my parents were cool. Now I realize I just needed a break. You know what I mean? They just like send you there. And then like, you know, 10 bucks later, all three kids are like 30 bucks for all day. And we would just go crazy. And there was all these games. And there was this great arcade there. Now, we didn't grow up. Now, for those of you who are young, arcades are places where there's all video games. Now you have them on your phone. You have them on your devices. Back in the day, we had to go to a place and there was these big boxes, you know, and then we would play these video games. And I know it sounds kind of archaic, but it was cool, you know. And I remember, you know, there'd be all these games. It'd be like the, the roll in the ball game. And if you get in the different holes, you get some tickets. Maybe you can get like, I don't know, like a gummy bear or something for like 187,000 tickets or whatever. But I remember eventually, for some reason, I always ended up at the whack-a-mole game. You guys remember the whack-a-mole game? It's this big thing, and it's got like this, this paddle, and it's got this big cushion on the top. And you'd put your money in, and all these moles would pop up, and you just, I was just to whack the moles, you know, the whole time. And you get a point for every time you whack the mole. Now, what I didn't realize at the time was, first, is that it was good practice for living here in the Pacific Northwest. Because I don't know about you guys, but the moles are partying in my backyard. So I didn't realize that. But the other thing, I've come to realize that life is a lot like playing a game of whack-a-mole, isn't it? Because every single day in all of our lives, all this stuff happens. And all these events happen, issues happen. I always tell my bride, Lynn, that for me, so much of my life is like playing a game of whack-a-mole because every day I got to get all these things done because tomorrow there'll be all these new things that are going to come up that I'm going to have to accomplish. And what I realize, I'm not 
the only one whose life is like that. Whose life feels like a game of whack-a-mole? Exactly. People online are like, yeah, Fusco. Everyone in the sanctuary is like, yeah. Well, well, guess what? Here's what I want to tell you. If your life and my life and everyone's life is like a game of whack-a-mole, at some point we have to realize that God is actually really interested in who we're becoming as we play whack-a-mole in real life. God wants to leverage all of the issues and all the problems and all the new things that come on up. He wants to leverage them to make us more like Jesus. And in a lot of ways, I think what God wants is he wants us to have what I would call the spirituality of imperfection. Our faith is that Jesus is perfect and we are not. And because we can acknowledge that we are imperfect, we realize we live in a world that is imperfect. And in an imperfect world, there are all sorts of imperfect things that happen. And we have a tendency, if we're not careful, to divorce the work of God from all of the issues of every day. And what I'm beginning to realize, and I don't like when I say things like this, is that the greatest test of who I am in Jesus happens when I'm inconvenienced. When I am inconvenienced, if I respond in aggression or anger, if I respond in frustration or impatience, that actually shows where I'm at spiritually. Because we live in a fallen world surrounded by fallen people, but we serve a good, perfect savior, so much of our lives get lived in the, what's the next set of issues that I'm going to deal with today? How many of you ever had that belief like, man, it'll just be smooth sailing once I get that thing done? Yeah. Big lie, right? Because you get that thing done, but then there's like eight more new things that you have to get done. And so in a lot of ways, God wants us to grow in this, how do I move through the world and become more like Jesus in the midst of all the issues. And in this series that we're doing called Honest from the book of Nehemiah, what you end up finding is, is Nehemiah is just radically honest about all the issues. So today I want to, let's, let's talk about the issues. Can we do that together? Everyone's like, no, Daniel, I don't want to talk about it. I've been talking about them all week. But listen, open up your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter five. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, don't worry. You got smart devices. They got Bibles on them. It's such a cool thing in our day and age, right? So if you didn't bring a Bible, open up your, your phone, your tablet, whatever you got, type in Nehemiah chapter five. We're actually gonna take chapters five and six together today. But if you did bring your Bible, open up to the book of Nehemiah between Ezra and Esther. They're in the first quarter of your Bible. And at the moment that we are dropping ourselves into here in this verse-by-verse study through the book of Nehemiah, you know, the wall is getting rebuilt. And there's all sorts of things that are going on. The walls are getting rebuilt and they're concerned about invasions. They realize that they're vulnerable. But really what we're going to realize is that Nehemiah's concern was for the oppression of the people. And he knew that the broken down walls created a unique vulnerability for the children of Israel. But you realize that if there's a situation where there is vulnerability because of the walls being broken down, you have to expect that there's other problems as well, correct? It's like the broken down walls and the vulnerability to outside attacks was one problem, but there's also all sorts of other things going on. 
So you see right away that there's all these economic hardships that are coming alongside with the walls being broken down. Literally, they come to Nehemiah and they have these kind of, there's like a four-fold set of issues. The first issue, of course, what there, there was a food shortage, right? So people were struggling to get grain. Because of that, they had to buy grain so they would mortgage their fields. So they would have to start selling what they had in order to provide for themselves because of this famine, this food shortage. And then, of course, third, because the finances are tight, then they start borrowing money to be able to pay the taxes to the Persian Empire, which was part of it as well. And then finally, because of this kind of cascading effects of this food shortage and you know, and they're mortgaging their stuff and they're borrowing money to pay taxes. Ultimately, then they are having to sell their kids into slavery in order to pay back all of the debts that they've brought up. And all of this creates now a, a huge social crisis in the midst of everything else that's going on. But you gotta love because Nehemiah jumps right on in. And really what we learn from the leadership of Nehemiah here is that active engagement crushes oppression. Active engagement is what crushes oppression. See, Nehemiah hears about these things and and we're gonna find out in a little bit that he's like the governor of the land. When he hears about what's going on, you'll notice that it says right away that Nehemiah says that he was very angry. That's verse six. And I became very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. See, Nehemiah heard about this oppression and it moved him to anger. Now, you might be saying to yourself, well, hold on a second. Now, the Bible says that we should be angry and not sin. And what that means is that there is a place in the life of the child of God for righteous indignation, righteous anger. God has it, Jesus had it, and we can have it. But notice what Nehemiah does. And again, this is, I love the honesty of Nehemiah. If Nehemiah wanted to make himself look extra spiritual, he never would have put that I became very angry when I heard this. But notice what happens, verse seven. After serious thought. Some of your your translation says after pondering it. Some translation says that after I mastered my feelings, then he engages. Now, this is important because we live in a day and age where everyone wants to talk about oppression and everyone wants to talk about active engagement, but we live in a day and age where nobody's fixing anything. Everyone's just breaking more things. I am all for active engagement, but you got to get your head together first, people. Going out being angry, creating more issues in other areas is not solving anything. It's not, and everybody knows it. So we have to make sure that we learn from the scriptures. Active engagement is necessary, but first you got to get your head and your heart together. Nehemiah mastered his feelings. He's like, wait, I'm angry. Me responding in anger is gonna take whatever's going on. I'm gonna create more issues. He got it together and then he goes and Nehemiah systematically now begins from the position that he sits, begins to work against the oppression that he sees. He goes right to the nobles and the rulers and he literally says he rebukes them. He calls them out. He doesn't call them out, but he brings the leaders together who are in control of some of these things. And he comes right to them. He says, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. Now that word usury is the old school word for interest. And the idea according to the scriptures, and you can read it in Exodus 22, Leviticus 25, Deuteronomy 23, that 
God's concern for the community is greater than God's concern for our own enrichment. This is where the Bible and our culture differ. In our culture, people who have money will let you borrow it and they will take interest from you. Now, what's interesting is the Bible is not against commercial interest for business. The Bible is against using somebody's vulnerable state to make them more impoverished. That's the problem. And we have it going on in our culture today where it's like if you have a bad credit rating, then, you know, or, or, or if you can't get a loan, like you go to a check cashing place, they take a lot of your check because they realize that you can't just deposit it for whatever reason. And so they're making money on your vulnerability no matter why that vulnerability is there. As followers of Jesus, we never see someone's vulnerability as an opportunity to enrich ourselves. That's what the Bible teaches from cover to cover, right? And whenever that's happening, the Bible calls that oppression. And I always like to say that God is always on the side of injustice. God is always working for justice where injustice exists. And so Nehemiah comes on here and says, this is not okay, people. And he starts, as his position as governor, he starts to call them out, you know, and then he called for a great assembly and he told, first he, did, he dealt with the people directly and then he calls this great assembly and he says, this is not okay what we're doing. And we need to stop charging interest and we need to restore the land and we need to restore the money that was taken and we need to give people back their property. Why? He's saying, because our people were oppressed and they were sent to foreign governments and now are we sending our kids to each other? Are we acting like the very people who we were exiled towards? And really what he's doing is Nehemiah is calling the children of Israel to a biblical standard of how to treat one another. Now there's lots, lots, lots that I can say about this. But what I wanna say to you as my brothers and sisters in Jesus, I realize not everyone here at Crossroads is a Christian. For those of you who aren't Christians, I'm super happy that you're here. On Abashedly, we want you to start following Jesus, but we know we can't make you. We will invite you. We think it's the best thing you could ever do. And we'll keep it telling you, hey, listen, man, you should follow Jesus. It's awesome. And it is awesome. But I realize that not everybody here, and that's okay. Like, you're welcome to learn about Jesus here. We love that you're here. We have a seat for you. But if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, people are more important than your bottom line in God's economy. We always have to be careful that we are not using someone's vulnerability to enrich ourselves more than necessary. And when you start to see people the way God sees people, see, for the children of Israel, it was not about one of them getting wealthy or one of them making some money at the expense of one. They were supposed to see themselves as a community where they worked for one another. They took care of one another. And it's one of the things I love so much about the Crossroads family because we see this week in and week out in the midst of our community where people are looking out for one another. They're joining one another. They're saying, hey, listen, I have this extra vehicle and so-and-so, you know, they, the vehicle got totaled and you know, I'm just gonna give them the car. Like you have all this stuff that's going on because, and when you get to the book of Acts, of course, the early church inspired by the Holy Spirit, you know, they did this out of the movements of the Spirit in their life. Go read Acts chapter two, go read Acts chapter four. Over and over and over again, the people of God were inspired by the Spirit to esteem others higher than themselves. And the issue that was going on for the children of Israel was that there were people who were making money on this calamitous situation that they were in. And Nehemiah calls it out, and what's beautiful is right as they were 
called out, things started to change. Notice by the time you get to verse 12. So they said, we will restore it. We will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Now, here's the deal, my friends. Nobody is perfect. Everyone say, nobody is perfect. Look at the person next to you and say, including me. Now, if you're, if you're talking to your spouse, your parents, everybody already knows that. Now, here's the deal. Because nobody's perfect, we get stuff wrong. And here's the key. If somebody in the name of Jesus loves you enough to call you out on something that you're doing wrong, wisdom says that you say, we're sorry and we're going to make it right. Foolishness says, who are you to talk to me that way? Don't judge me. I always know when someone's trying to skirt the issue. Don't judge me. Right? Now listen, sometimes people do judge you. And it's wrong when they do it. But wisdom realizes I am imperfect. Remember we talked about a spirituality of imperfection? So if someone brings something like, and listen, when someone comes to me, in the best scenario, I am humble enough to hear it and say, okay, will you pray for me? Even if I don't know if it's true. Because even if I don't quite agree, I'm sure there's probably something there. Because I'm imperfect. And I know that I'm imperfect. And I love the fact that these nobles and these rulers right away say, okay, I got to fix this. Nehemiah's right. This is from God. And that's how transformation happens. The ability to be open-hearted to say, you know what? I probably got to grow here. Now, we're going to move on because now we see Nehemiah functioning differently than what we just saw. So Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 14 to 19. So what you got to love about Nehemiah is not only did he, you know, actively engage to alleviate oppression, but Nehemiah did something else that is a great principle for each one of us as we move through this world, and that's that each one of us should choose to sacrifice for the common good should choose to sacrifice for the common good because Nehemiah is really saying here that he chose not to enrich himself or even receive what had been the custom for governors when he was in the position of leading Jerusalem. It says here that he he was the governor for 12 years, right? But he didn't eat the governor's portion. He realized that with all that was going on, with the wall being in tatters, he realized with all the oppression, people are starving, people are are, are mortgaging their lives trying to survive. He did not feel comfortable living in extravagance in the midst of so much sorrow. And so he chose for himself to be different than all the other governors. Look what it says in verse 15, but the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and they took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants ruled over the people. But he's like, but not me. He's like, instead, and even tells what they ate. It's like Nehemiah was a man of principle. He wanted to make sure that his testimony as a leader was rock solid. He's like, man, all, you know, all we, we ate one ox and six choice sheep, and we had some, some bird, you know, we had some chicken, some turkey, whatever was there, you know, some quail. And he said, oh yeah, and once every 10 days we had uh, all different types of wine. Now before you think that Nehemiah is a lush, you have to remember that in that culture, 
Fermented drinks were the only sanitary beverage. This was long before there was uh, reverse iodized water, tap water with fluoride, even if you think that's bad for you. You know, it, back in the day, there were, and it was the desert. They lived in the desert. So even in the rainy season, there wasn't a lot of water. And if you've ever been to Israel, right, you have like the Sea of Galilee in the north, then you have the Dead Sea. You ever try and taste the Dead Sea? I had my wife do it. I'm so bad. We went to Israel and we we're at the Dead Sea and, and like we're there and like the Dead Sea has got so much salt in it that if you, if you float, you just float. No one sinks in the Dead Sea. So you definitely can't drink it. I'm like, oh, Lynn, I'm like, people, you know, we're here in the Holy Land. I'm like, people drink that. It's real. it's good for you. And then it's like, really, Daniel? I'm like, yeah. I'm mean that way. You got to pray for my wife. So I had the camera too, you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, I taste it. Taste it. She oh, took a picture. I'm like, nice. So then it's like, why'd you do that to me? I'm like, I'm sorry. So don't ever do that. And if someone tells you to drink the Dead Sea, don't drink the Dead Sea. It's dead for a reason, you know? But the thing is this, is like fermented beverage was the only thing that was healthy because the fermentation killed all the stuff in there. You ever, you ever go camping, you know? And, and even if you go camping and not camping where you bring your TV in the back of your truck, that's not camping. That's, that's living in your living room outside. But like you get in a tent, like <laughs> some of you do that, right? You have like a generator, you have a TV, you bring your recliner. I know how it is. It's the Northwest. We're lazy. But, but you have to bring a water purifier because even you find a stream, there's all giardia. There's all these different parasites in there. You get sick and it's horrible. And so the idea of having all different types of wine, it was not about getting drunk. It was about just drinking, like having hydration in that culture. But what I love so much is that what Nehemiah is doing is he's literally modeling servanthood for the people. And he's sacrificing for the common good of everybody. And of course, Jesus talked about this in uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 26 and 27, where it says, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be the younger and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet... I am among you as the one who serves. Now, again, what I love so much about Jesus is he roots servanthood in himself. He's like, who's greater, the one who's at the table or the attendant to the table? He's like, of course, the person who sits at the table. He's like, but hey, me, I'm your Lord, and I'm here serving you. And the children of God are voluntary servants of others. You don't have to be. You choose to be. You get to be. And you choose to be and you get to be because you follow Jesus who served the world by coming on a rescue mission, leaving heaven's glory and dying on a cross for our sins. Jesus sacrificed what was his due given his position for the common good. Nehemiah does the same thing. And God wants us to be servants just like we're seeing here. And I, I love this because notice Nehemiah's little prayer. Nehemiah's the master of like the one sentence prayer. Notice this, verse 19. Remember me, my God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. I love that. He's saying, God, don't forget what I'm doing for the betterment of people. Jesus is Are your actions and your speech each day bettering other people? This is something Pastor Daniel encouraged you today to become aware of and to really put into practice. 
Sometimes bettering others means not expressing your opinion, and sometimes it means you need to lovingly point them back to Christ. It's not always easy, as you saw today from Nehemiah, but God is honored when you love others well. Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world, and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life, and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus' Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Nehemiah is in trouble. There's opposition to the work he's doing, and his life is being threatened. The enemy is trying every trick they can to stop the progress of Nehemiah and his people, and really to stop God's plans. Pastor Daniel will remind you how sneaky Satan can be as he too tries to halt God's work in your life, but you can't resist. Lean into the safety of God's love and truth. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Honest. Until then, may God bless.